0: welcome to the dje podcast where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples here's your host devin
1: elder hello hello today on the show we've got sandhya Seshadri joining us from dallas texas she's an operator and has been in the game for a number of years buying large multifamily complexes. And she's going to dive into her story. And we talk about why she likes the Dallas market, how she got into the business, why she made a transition from her corporate role and got into the multifamily space. It was primarily driven by uh, seeking some tax shelter and tax advantage that multifamily sometimes allows us. Uh, and then what she's doing now, how she's winning deals in a hot market like Dallas, how she's partnering and teaming up and building her team to continue to be successful, what her goals look like for the year ahead, lots more detail. I think you're going to enjoy this if you're an operator, prospective operator, passive investor, perspective of passive investor. There's lots of things to unpack here in her story that I think you're going to enjoy. Before we jump in, if you're listening to this and you're not currently seeing DJE deals from our company and you want to, you can just go to our website, djetexas.com. That's Delta Juliet Echo Texas spelled out.com. And you can do lots of things, set up a call with our team. You can get case studies, see what kind of projects we've done over the last decade in San Antonio, Texas, and basically join the list. Secondly, if you are wanting to accelerate your business and get in on the ownership side of these apartment complexes where you're running them and doing big deals, we created apartmenteducators.com as a community of folks doing just that. Our students are closing big deals, $10, $20 million deals. And it's a whole ecosystem, partnerships, education, training modules, coaching, introductions, the whole thing in order to push the fast forward button and get you to these big deals. There's also a free video course we teach there that I teach. So if that's interesting to you, you can go to apartmenteducators.com and that's it for the ads. Let's jump into the podcast. Sandhya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Devin. Thank you so much for having me and for your schedule flexibility to accommodate the schedule today. Thank you
1: it was very serendipitous. It worked out perfectly on my side as well. So a um, couple of Texas multifamily operators here. Let's, mm-hmm. let's jump into some shop talk. Uh, first, I would love to learn a bit about your background, what you did before multifamily and, and how you ultimately came into this business. So what you know, where did you grow up? What did your career look like? That kind of thing before real estate.
0: All right. So um, like many immigrants here, Asian immigrants, um, I came with two suitcases, landed in Dallas, went to get my engineering degree here at SMU in Dallas. And right after that, I got employed by Texas Instruments, and I was uh, doing a lot of technical roles there, and they were kind enough to send me back to school for a part-time MBA Because I realized that all the management marketing kind of folks were making decisions and we as technical people were just executing them. So that's where through this MBA, I got my knowledge of business, the stock market, financial analysis, et cetera. And then I went on to more of a program management running business kind of role there. And got into the stock market, so several clubs, etc. Once I had children, and I felt like my family was a greater priority, I wanted uh, schedule freedom. So I quit my corporate job, went full time into the stock market, had a whole bunch of time with my kiddos, etc. And realized, okay, I'm actually doing well in this. So now I need a tax advantage. So the tax advantages of real estate is what brought me to multifamily. Uh I shied away from single family because I was not a handy person. I did not know the four T's, you know, tenants, toilets, trash, and termites. I wanted to stay away from that. And I felt like the margins weren't enough for me to take recourse loans, like bank loans for a single family. So I skipped it, attended a weekend event here in Dallas, hosted by Brad Sumrock and felt like, okay, this makes sense to be an asset manager and to employ third-party property management companies that run the day-to-day operations for me, maintenance, leasing, and all that. And I'm an asset manager who looks at the financials, much like what I used to do at Texas Instruments. And so I jumped right in with both feet and uh, it's been a fantastic journey.
1: Great. And you got to skip a lot of the headache involved with some of the smaller uh, steps that a lot of people take, Mm -hmm. buy a bunch of houses, flip houses, rental houses, those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. which on their own, I mean, can be great investments. You know, mm-hmm. single family rental house can, can be a decent investment mm-hmm. for tax purposes, cash flow, all that stuff. But but you don't have to do that. I think a lot of people think that you do, um, that, mm-hmm. that it's some sort of rite of passage. And with the right, I think the right background is important. Not mm-hmm. everybody can just jump in and buy a big multifamily building. But if you've got the the financial wherewithal and the business acumen, mm-hmm. absolutely. You can jump right into the, the mm-hmm. big deals. Um, so congratulations on that. And, and you certainly cut out a lot, a lot of headache and heartache, I think going, <laughs> going that yeah. route. Um, and you also jumped in and, and paid for mentoring, which is a, a way to push the fast forward button. Mm-hmm. What did you, once you got into that, what did your first, you know, what was your first order of business? What is was it a long period of training or partnering with others or how did you approach that?
0: So I had my income from my previous job available to invest passively. So I did a few passive investments to build relationships with experienced sponsors. And I made sure all those investments were in the Dallas area, which is my primary market. I've lived here for over 31 years now. Um, And then there was also training from a video modules kind of perspective learn how to underwrite, you also have access to coaches, but the real education I think comes when you go to properties when you see what's done and construction is where I did not have a strong background in, so I was trying to figure that out by visiting all my investments passively, but that's where I also in this within this group found people with experience with whom I partnered to get my first deal because I could leverage their resumes when I talk to investors. So being able to leverage the resumes of experienced sponsors gives that sense of comfort with investors when you talk to them to say, okay, I'm here with all this energy, time, and experience from a technical background, but in terms of actual real estate experience, here are my partners who know what they're doing, here's their track record, and together we're gonna go buy this. And so the success of that first deal I think was huge. And that established me with brokers as well as with investors. And from then on, it was much easier. The second, third, et cetera, followed right after.
1: Right. I love that approach. I love the passive investing approach first. That's going to get you in the game. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When you write a big check, you're paying attention, maybe more so than if you were just passively studying this stuff. So you're in the game you get into a deal, you get to see how experienced operators run it. And that a lot of times gives uh, one the confidence to take next steps. And I -hmm. I absolutely agree with your approach of of borrowing credibility, at least in that interim step. I I think it's very difficult to go out there and state to the world that you wanna buy a 150 unit apartment complex Mm -hmm. uh, on your own. This is a, a team sport, like people often say. And it sounds like you did that. You're able to leverage folks' credibility that were further down the road to mm-hmm. get into those deals. Let's talk about Dallas. Uh, that's a big market. Some would say a you know a competitive market, but you've got the, a local advantage. You're, you've been there a long time. You're comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of things do you find attractive about the Dallas multifamily market?
0: I think you see everywhere the population migration and job growth. So all along, all your, I hate to say this, but blue states are moving to red states and Dallas definitely is a very hot market for that. All of Texas, you know, your Phoenix, etc. But basically, when you have this many new companies establishing here, their headquarters here, etc., You've got the population mix and you've got this advantage of not enough single family homes. You've seen the explosion of single family property prices here. So when there's 50 people bidding above list price on a single family, there's 49 people who are not getting it. And so they need a place to live. There is also the trend of your millennials, your uh, sort of uh, baby boomers, seniors, et cetera, not wanting the lifestyle of managing a house by themselves. So Lifestyle changes, both the young as well as the older folks and the supply and demand is making this a super hot market. And combined with COVID, I think it's just accelerated the move of people here and also the jobs. So Dallas is a phenomenal market. In that sense, and so are some other target markets, the biggest thing is to know your little neighborhoods and your little corners right there are certain zip codes, if you give me a street address i'm not even going to pursue that so I don't have to spend three hours trying to screen a deal I can spend. Five minutes and look at the address and tell you oh i'm not going to invest in that market so looking for value add is what I do so. I don't just want an organic rent growth, which we are seeing plenty of in Dallas. More than that, you've got to be able to go as an operator and make a difference to that community and provide amenities that residents want to pay for. And that's where things like your population growth, your crime rate, your school systems, the median household income, all of that play into deciding whether or not, not just the deal itself in terms of its numbers, but whether or not, your resident population, it's both the rent growth that you're planning there. So a lot of it goes into it. But Dallas is a hot market mainly because everybody's moving here. I mean, I see the crowds. I see the highways. I see places that used to be empty fields now and becoming big cities. Like Frisco didn't exist 30 years ago, you know, in right. terms of the way it's exploded now. I mean, it was out there as a landmark on a highway kind of thing. But, you know, to have this kind of population growth, which is is a no-brainer to invest. Just like what you see in Austin, right? Now Austin is getting too expensive. So some of the outskirts of Austin are now exploding. And same way, Dallas is uh, very popular.
1: Yeah, that's right. There's so many forces that are uh, coalescing together to, to drive that demand for housing. I love it. Well, thank you for the for the overview. Let's talk a little bit, Sandy, about your team mm-hmm. and what kind of projects you're pursuing. You know, we know Dallas, but let's talk about, you know, vintage and size. And then what does the team look like that you've assembled to be able to pull off these large transactions and these large uh, these large you know turnaround projects in some cases if the if they're value add.
0: You know how I mentioned having a mentoring group, right? I think of that as like entering a country club. So within that country club, you have many different friends and many groups. So I actually have a couple of deals with the same set of individuals. And then I have a couple of deals with different people. So we just assemble together based on the deal and the need for it. So I have learned now because of my three years in the group doing various roles, I can now do boots on the ground. I can do the CapEx management, asset management, but I also am strong in numbers and underwriting. And I've also now grown my abilities to raise capital, so I can fit into whatever piece is needed, depending on the teams we assemble together. So there's a couple of deals where um, I have a team with two other lovely ladies, and each of them brings a different strength to the group. One of them loves managing capex; she's a stay-at-home mom, uh, and she's available during the day to do a lot of that work. So. It makes sense. And she was relatively new to this business. So in the last two deals we've done together, um, I've sort of mentored her, but she's been the one to do the actual work. And then we have another experienced team member, much like myself, but with a very different background. She's strong in accounting. She's good with the financials. Um, She really knows how to Um, go after the property management companies and make sure the project gets executed, et cetera. So we bring people with complementary skills together so that as a whole, the team covers all aspects of it. Now, my very first deal was with two very nice gentlemen who were kind enough to take me along, but they're both out of state and they have a lot of experience. So I'm actually doing another deal with them where again, I serve as local boots on the ground and I'm gonna do a lot of the CapEx and hands-on asset management work while they do a lot more of the capital raise because, again, they have even more experience. But I'm also going to raise capital, and we all independently underwrite the deal so that we see differently, okay, you missed this or I missed this, et cetera. Let's make sure we cover all bases. So um, I really like utilizing the strengths of all of our partners in every deal that I do, but I have some favorites. I have two different groups that I primarily partner with based on you know, us having great synergies from having completed deals
1: together before. Right, right. Well, thank you for the overview. One of the things I love about the multifamily business is you can structure it on a per deal basis. And it sounds like you've done that. I mean, you know, you might bring two partners together for this deal or three partners together because of certain skill sets of certain part of the certain partners. That doesn't mean that you've got to do the next 20 deals with that person or that partner. You're creating a new entity pursuing an asset with a, a specific structure for that project, and you may only be in that project three to five years, but mm-hmm. you're not—you uh, know—you're not creating a company that needs to last a lifetime. Here, it really is exactly. project specific.
0: Exactly, like the two wonderful gentlemen who took me on in their first deal, they went on to go to other markets. They're pursuing Tennessee. They were all looking at one point in Phoenix or New Mexico, and I'm like, I'm just going to stick with Dallas. So when it makes sense, we come together as a team to do a Dallas deal, and so. We're about to do that in uh, this year in 2022. So it just varies depending on what you need and which team member makes the most sense for that deal. As long as you all still have the same basic underwriting philosophies, the basic conservative strategies, and you're all tuned in on the business plan and your roles and responsibilities are clearly laid out. I think like the complementary strengths really make a huge difference. Sometimes it's tempting because I'm an engineer, right, to just have three other engineers in the team. Well, then we all bring the same thing to the table. And it's so important to have team members who think differently from you because you need that out of the box thinking when you run into issues and you always do. It's never a perfect fairy tale once you take over a property, you come up with different um, aspects of it. And so it's important to have that perspective from, people who think so differently from you right one of my partners is like a professional snowboarder another partner is like an insurance agent another one is like an accountant right so all of them bring so many different flavors and perspective into the deal that um it's it's phenomenal
1: right and you can you can fine-tune your own skill set over time by having those different uh -hmm. different viewpoints on the projects which is Mm -hmm. which is really helpful um I love it. Yeah, that. So let's talk about sourcing deals, right? You're in a hot market like Dallas, seeing incredible population growth, all these other metrics that continue to make multifamily attractive in that market, mm-hmm. uh, and it gets competitive. So how how are you sourcing deals these days? We were just talking in the green room before about a new project you're working on, but what what are you seeing this uh, you know these this last year or so on sourcing deals?
0: I think the biggest thing is your broker relationships. And also for me, because of being in this business now for a little while, having both passive and active investments and being part of a group, I already know even in 2022, I can tell you five properties that are going to come up for sale. So if I wanted any one of them today, well, before they're listed for sale, I'm going to finish all my homework on it. So I'm going to be basically ready to pounce on it when it comes and make a preemptive offer. And so I know which brokerages accept preemptive offers, et cetera. So again, it's about your relationship with brokers as well as possibly with a seller. So the two properties I acquired in 2022, the last two were both from sellers I personally knew. So I already had the credibility established with them that I'm going to close a deal. There's no risk. We closed in less than 60 days. And so, you know, brokers love it too. So again, the broker with whom you listed and purchased your last deal knows you can close a deal. So they're going to bring you another one. And you already have these conversations with them to say, this is exactly my little box. So anything that fits this little box, please bring it to me. Right. Give me an early look if you can. And so I do all my homework ahead of time. So by the time I'm ready to tour the property, it's just a matter of checking a couple of boxes to verify that, okay, all my assumptions are still valid. And I take people with me who are experts in the field, such as a contractor, as well as my property management. So by the time I do the property tour, I'm almost ready to buy it, you know, kind of level of detail. So it's just a few little things, minor things I might want to follow up on. Like, is this really a, uh, when was the roof replaced? When is the, you know, do you have a chiller system or ACs, et cetera, right? You can do a lot of that even ahead of time with your drive-by kind of analysis. But broker relationships and, Access to actually property owners, right? Who are going to be listing their properties for sale are your two biggest, uh, you know, tricks to getting a deal awarded in this hot market.
1: Yeah, that's right. I love it. I like that overview. And I like what you said about de risking it for the seller because mm-hmm. these are big transactions. They are relatively slow moving mm-hmm. and there's a lot of parties involved and nobody wants to. S- On a, you know, no seller wants to get into a contract, waste 45 days, fall out of contract. I don't care if you're keeping a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars of earnest money. I don't even want to go through the headache of that. Uh, even, even if you get to keep a little money for, for your trouble, you really want certainty as a mm-hmm. seller. You want certainty of execution. Mm-hmm. And you know, we just sold a deal. It was ex- that exact thing. We took a preemptive offer because the key principle on the other side of the table was a friend of mine for years and years. Mm-hmm. I said, if he's on the deal, I know these guys are going to close. Mm-hmm. It removes a lot of risk for me. I'm fairly confident that whatever close date we have on the contract, they're going to hit with plus or minus a couple of days. And that de-risking is worth a lot. Even if you were to get a maybe a little bit higher offer from an unknown party, you mm-hmm. know, a contract and a close are two very different things. Yeah. So de-risking <laughs> totally. it for the seller is, is huge.
0: Mm-hmm. That's why your first deal you want to leverage the resume of other people who've closed deals or have a key principal loan guarantor who's closed deals, so that it has that confidence for the seller and the brokers to award you the deal. So even in your LOI, you want to put the big names out there who've closed deals before, who've got that resume, and you want to attach that when you make offers.
1: I love it. Yeah, that's that's great advice. So we're talking in the beginning of 2022 here, first quarter. What do you what do you have ahead for the for the coming year? Uh, You mentioned you're working on a project. Are are you trying to buy a bunch of deals this year or do you just look at them as they come up opportunistically or, or, or how do you like to structure your business?
0: So a lot of people want to scale up and grow by having a certain number of doors or dollars attached to something. Sure. For me, uh, ultimately if a 100 door property versus a 300 door property in a 3 to 5 year period gets me the same level of compensation, but one is less risky than the other in terms of returning the, you know, investors projections or beating that then I'm gonna pick the one that's less risky. So for me, I don't have a particular door target. What do I, I specifically wanna do is, I know that the effort to take care of a 100 door property versus 300 door is about the same, the effort that I have to go into for asset management. So I wanna do larger, but fewer deals. So instead of having a half a dozen deals of 100 doors each, I'd rather do two 300 door deals and be done with it, Right. as long as the risk is less. You know, It meets my conservative targets. I don't have to do magic to make this profitable, that it's relatively reasonable, proven strategies. I've done before, rinse and repeat on half a dozen other deals, and I can do the same thing. I know it'll work. The location is a very big piece of it. It's a very stable, good neighborhood with low crime issues, etc. cetera. Um, those are my criteria. So again, this year, I think three deals of a reasonable size is fine with me. I'm not after six or seven deals, but maybe it's only two deals that makes sense. But I know we're going to be selling at least one property this year. So I'll have to time it to when that's sold to when we acquire the next one. So probably um, in the, sometime in second quarter will be my second deal of the year. So one per quarter, but only three probably is a max for me.
1: Right. Right. I think that's, that's a uh, very advisable for those listening. It's, It's tempting to want to put targets out there, but uh, you have to to be open to taking these deals as they come. Mm -hmm. I like the comment about risk. I mean, if you can do a less risky deal, I I remember early in my career, you know, would take these, tackle these huge turnaround projects. And it just dawned on me that all that matters is the investor return. If Mm -hmm. I can get the investor return for less risk and work, Mm-hmm. Let's do that. I mean, yeah. it's just it's better for everybody. And multifamily is a fairly forgiving asset. But any t- any time you can de-risk it for everyone involved, take that, take it, right? I mean,
0: yeah. I mean, we know interest rates are probably going to go up. Inflation is here. So can these residents pay the highest rent that you want to increase it to? And how reasonable is that? Or should you be more targeting amenities that they actually want and feel like it's already part of their budget, like laundry, you know, washer dryer connections? is pretty useful and laundry is already in their budget every month. So, right. or Wi-Fi for that matter, everybody pays for Wi-Fi. So if you can offer it at a competitive price to them, they might go for it instead of directly with the main provider, right? So you can have bundling packages and things like that. So another big piece of just looking for properties in Dallas, Fort Worth as an example is you don't want to overpay so much and everybody nowadays is taking bridge loans. So you got to think about the highest interest rate, whatever rate cap you buy, and make sure your deal works with that rate cap for that duration. And if you have to have a longer hold period, hey, today you might say, I'm going to sell it in three years, but what if year three, the economic conditions aren't as favorable? You got to think, consider that extension and talk to your investors about the risks that they want to take with this. Because, you know, multifamily deals are, are illiquid. You get some cash flow, but really this is not like, the stock market where you can instantly cash your money and have it wired back to you in a couple of days kind of thing. So, you know, the the risk is a big piece of it for choosing multifamily properties. And there's not a definite number. A lot of people just keep chasing numbers. But all it takes is one bad deal where you don't meet your investor returns for your reputation to be ruined. You know, it's like it takes years to build a castle and just one day to kind of ruin all of it. Right. So,
1: that's right better to pass on a hundred deals than to than, than to risk your reputation mm-hmm. there's there's no question about it and you have to be in a position to ride out some sort of economic uh, problem be and and yep. now historically they're relatively short-lived I mean recessions are a couple of years they're they're not typically 10 years who knows what the future is but you've got to have your loan maturities far enough out there to ride it out for a few years you've got to be in a mm-hmm. position to to operate the deal through some choppy waters if if need be. Fortunately, you know, housing is is such a fundamental product that multifamily is relatively well positioned for that kind of thing, but okay. you, you can't I'm I'm kind of amazed sometimes when on the purchasing side seeing that um you know, they're selling because they have a loan maturity in 90 days. It's like mm-hmm. But what have you been doing for the last four years? Did you not yeah. know the loan mat- was maturing? It's like uh, I would I would never let myself get in that situation, but yet we see it sometimes, which I suppose mm-hmm. creates some opportunity. But you've got to have some some uh, foresight to let keep those loan maturities far enough out there. It was described to me once as a a train. You're on the train track and it's coming. And it's four years out, but if you don't mm-hmm. plan for it, it will it will kill you if you don't have a plan.
0: Yeah, and. If the deal doesn't go through, right, if the buyer is unable to buy it, even after a couple of extensions, then you're back to the drawing board. So having exactly 90 days to sell your property is just not enough. So if your loan is maturing at a certain time, you should list it well in advance or have a backup plan to extend it, the loan or transfer it to another, I don't know, uh, agency debt or whatever makes sense at that time, getting out of your bridge debt.
1: Yep, hundred percent. So, you know, debt is a tool. Bridge lending is a tool. It's not inherently good or evil, but you've got to be aware of the dangers of of using any tool, and Mm -hmm. keep those keep those loan maturities far out there. Um, What would you say to somebody that is wanting to get into the business, wanting to be in your shoes? Maybe that professional that Mm -hmm. wants to do what you're doing, but Mm -hmm. they have not um, taken those steps yet, and they're they're you know, there's definitely someone listening right now. In that situation, that wants to do what you're doing, what do you what do you, what guidance or advice do you have for that person?
0: Start by setting your goals, right? So, if, for example, you could say, within 12 months, I want to syndicate one deal of 100 doors or more in this specific market with these kind of returns. And once you specify your goals, you can next thing is to say, this is how much time I'm willing to put into it, and this is what I have to offer to an experienced sponsor so that they would take me on. Because I'm assuming you're starting for example of a person with zero experience. Sure. And that's where you really have to put down what you have to offer to another team member with experience that they wanna take you on. And so your quickest way to get into a deal is by leveraging the resume of other people in large multifamily, right? Single family, yes, you can probably find a realtor, friend, and seller and buy it. But for large multifamily, that's a big one. What do you have to offer to somebody with experience? Of course, my shortcut was to join a mentoring program where I had a vast group of 500 plus experienced sponsors, and I built relationships with some of them so that I could get my first deal. It's always the first deal that's the biggest hurdle. Once you cross that barrier, you're known to brokers as someone who's a deal closer, and then you can launch after that. But to get that first foot in the door, right? It's like when you're interviewing with a new company to get your foot in the door, you need a recommendation that's powerful or you need someone in the business to know you and you need to have not worry as much about that first role, what you're gonna do, but just get in there. And then within that company, you can change roles, learn different things. And it's very similar in real estate too. Once you get your first deal, you can kind of say, I really want to get better at asset management because like in my case, I didn't have a construction background. So I had leaders helping me who already knew what to do, but I was executing it and learning by doing. So similarly, figure out what you have to offer to experienced sponsors and what you want to learn and very, very specific, measurable target.
1: I love it. There's so much wisdom in that statement So take that to heart if you're in that situation, because all all of that is spot on. We've seen that work again and again and again for folks. So thank you for sharing that. Sanjeev, somebody wants to connect with you, learn more about what you're up to in the year ahead. How can they do that?
0: My website is the best place to find me. It's multifamily4u.com, where it's multifamily4you.com. They can provide their name, email address, and a short message, and they can reach out to me and we can connect. I'm also easy to find on LinkedIn as well as Facebook.
1: Excellent. Well, we'll link to your website in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining today and sharing your story. I wish you continued success in the year ahead.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on your show and it's so great to connect with you.
1: All righty. Take care. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.